Hello, hello, what's up, what's good, ni hao, bonjour, welcome to the Any Given Runaway show, I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green, Any Given Runaway celebrates exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, artistic, creative people in the world, everyone has a story, each person a scholar, today's 2020 recap episode features two of my favorite performers that I was lucky enough to chat with during the year, and they're both from the UK, Kelly Matheson, a singer from Scotland who, at the time of the show, was performing in the historic role of Kristen Daae in the world's most popular musical, Phantom of the Opera. Delightful, delightful conversation about her experiences living her dream. When she was young, she would have Phantom of the Opera birthday parties, not knowing that years later, she'd be on stage in a starring role for that very same musical. After Kelly, we'll bring on Nicholas McCarthy, an internationally acclaimed concert pianist who was born with only one hand. Nicholas chats with us about his musical beginnings and, and how it was a moment of an epiphany while he was hearing a classmate perform Beethoven that immediately changed his life as he pledged his desire to become a pianist. His successful journey has taken him across the world as a performer but also as a public speaker and it was one of my favorite conversations of the year. You can't have one without the other, that they all kind of do blend together, and it's essential to, even if you're not necessarily an expert in all three, but uh, at least have your, you know, dip your toe in, in all the areas. Yeah, for sure. It, it mm. definitely helps to be able to to do, well, they say the triple threat, but everyone's everyone's got a, a stronger component of that, of those three things. But um, but yeah, I was, I was just lucky that I started dancing so young. So, yeah. Ah, lovely. Now, you spent some of your training in Vienna, one of the most, I feel, culturally important cities in Europe, if not the world. What were some of your memories of your time in Austria? Oh, God, so many. I, I, it will always hold one of the most special places in my heart ever. Um, what I loved about it was, so I went over to study with a certain teacher out there, but I also wanted to study German because at the time I was really, I was really just pining after an opera career. And I was a big fan of stuff like Mozart, who obviously has German operas and, and stuff like that. So I thought I wanted to learn German. Um, and one of my favourite memories from living there was going to class, German class, for three hours a day, five days a week. Um, but my German class looked over the Staatsoper, like the main opera house. And I used to like love going super early and just looking out the window and knowing I was there for like such good reasons. And yeah. and I'll never forget it. It's like it's those simple things in, in Austria. And I, I find like I find Austria, I always say they're like 10 years behind everyone. You know, they're everything was still quite old fashioned mm-hmm. and and I loved it. I, I, they're the most cultured city ever and and music and opera and the performers are so respected where I find sometimes a lot of people just kind of they they find out you're a performer and they're kind of like cool so what else do you do where (laughs) out there they they really they really respected you um but that was my favorite memory actually just looking out every single day in German class yeah were you there during the winter time yes I moved literally just after new year um and I turned up and it was just snow um I loved it I mean I'm Scottish so I love the cold um but yeah it was it was so good and it was it was perfect I I loved every moment there and I, I miss it I really do miss it out there yeah I remember it being cold but they had just the most wonderful winter slash Christmas market there so I hope that you had to experience some of that yeah. what was your favorite bit of, uh, of Austrian food that you had while you were there oh um 
this sounds so funny, but this thing called Kaiserkreiner, which is literally just like a cheese sausage. And yeah, yeah. but my favorite one was just on a stand in the middle of the street. Um, yeah. they're the best. Like I said, simple <laughs> things. Um, yeah, so good. Growing up, you had birthday parties that were Phantom of the Opera themed, and now you're literally yeah. working. You're now literally working <laughs> in your dream job, basically. Well, growing up, but first of all, growing up, what was it? that inspired you or attracted you to Phantom? Um, I think what has always attracted me to Phantom is is her story, you know, the mm-hmm. whole ballet dancer singer. And I was like, hey, that's me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and I can relate and you know, and and I sung so many of the songs in my lessons and you know, my teacher would always say, You would make like a good Christine and and I think those kind of things just attracted me to it and and it was it was kind of in the it was in the middle of musical theatre and opera because at the time I actually had a difficulty kind of knowing what I wanted to go into I didn't know whether I wanted to study opera or I wanted to study musical theatre I studied opera and I went into musical theatre um so I went the whole other way but um but I think that's what attracted to me attracted me to it so much was just it was like a mixture of everything I loved, musical theatre, opera, ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's always held a very special place in my heart. And I think it always will. Always yeah. will, of course. Now, the role of Christine, iconic, legendary in all of the musical world. In preparation for your debut, how did you handle the the anxiety and the pressure of this role, especially maybe knowing that you were loving it as a kid as well? Mm-hmm. Um, you know... I feel like I didn't struggle too much because mm-hmm. I felt like I came into the role quite naive. I didn't really understand um, the entire business of the musical theatre industry, you know. And yeah. I think that was a blessing in disguise because I think now, like having the experience, the experience that I have, and going into such an iconic role where there's so much, you know, I was I was dealing with all these people on Instagram, you know, talking about, is she going to be good? Like, what's she going to be like? And she doesn't maybe look like a Christine and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And I really, I didn't know how to handle any of yeah. it. Um, but I think because I was naive and I just thought, oh, this is great. And, and I love this role and I love this musical that I didn't put too much pressure on myself. It actually wasn't until further down the line mm. when I kind of realized what I was doing and the yeah. role I was portraying. And when you tell people what you do, suddenly they were like, oh, my God, do you play Christine in, in yeah. Phantom? I love Phantom. And then you're like, OK, yeah, th- this I need to you know this is a big 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 deal yeah. Um, I always knew it but um it's it's funny it, I felt like it didn't really massively hit me until a few months down but yeah well that makes me wonder how do you handle the the superficial criticism such as well she doesn't really look like a Christine because that like what is what does even Christine look like right I mean so how do you handle something that is that when you read about you see that hear that when it doesn't really play into it, but over time it might play a role. How do you how do you let that kind of just flow off your back? Um, honestly, at the start, I really struggled um, mm-hmm. because I didn't, like I said, I was new and I didn't understand that you just kind of ignored, well, you know, yeah. let it kind of brush off. Yeah. Um, 
but I was seeing I was seeing a lot of comments and they really hurt and and mm-hmm. because the thing with Phantom is because it's been around for so long people get fixated on the one actress and if you are not that actress then that therefore means you are not up to their standards and they'll just let the they'll like let the whole world know but they don't realize that you see it you will see it because either you're tagged in it and I get a Mm. notification or you know it just it just comes up because you might be watching a video say we did the the new advert and I was just I was like scrolling through the comments but then some people were saying stuff and I was like oh my god like (laughs) really like do you really think that of me um but the thing is is that these people don't realize that I see it and I don't think they realize the full impact of of saying such hurtful things online about people but then I think about you know if I was 12 or 11 then I, I don't know maybe I would have as well if I yeah. had access to yeah. to all of this online stuff but I didn't when I was younger and but then you just start to kind of you do start to ignore it and everyone's got their opinion and you just have to kind of let it go just know that you're doing the best job you can do can't please everyone yeah, when you're hearing a, just a variety of opinions, both good and bad, from everyone who has access to a phone, who do do you listen to when it comes to constructive feedback? Whereas something that you could work on, where like, hey, you know, this 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 show you weren't doing X, Y, and Z. Who are the people in your life that you do listen to for advice? Um, my creatives at the show, a hundred percent. They're they're the only people that I will physically listen to. So, mm-hmm. my my resident director, Mark Hedges, my MD, my choreographer, um, and then people like my singing teacher or um, my coach that would yeah. maybe come and see the show, you know, um, once every like few months just to see what I'm doing. They're really the only people that I care about their opinions. I'm not saying I don't care about other people's <laughs> opinions. It's yeah, just yeah. kind of, I need to... I need to have like a small group of yeah, yeah. people that I will take an opinion with and, and appreciate it and respect it because I respect them and I know they respect me. Uh, I think that's I think that's wonderful to have in a small circle like that and you're aware of it as well. I think that's so important. You mentioned that in the audition process, you really weren't, weren't much thinking about the actual audition and even getting the role. What were some of the emotions that you had in the initial audition for Christine? Um, well, basically, my friend got me an audition yeah. um, because I, well, I didn't have an agent at the time. And like I said, I wasn't in musical theatre. Um, initially, I remember the first, my first audition, I turned up and I couldn't believe I was even doing this. Yeah. And I stood and I was like, yeah, I'm going to leave. This is so stupid. Like, why am I doing this? I'm going to make such a fool out of myself. You know, even though I went to like the best conservatoire in the world, like I had so much training behind me, but for some reason, Christine, the West End Phantom, I was like, no way, this is yeah. not going to happen. It's never going to happen. And I just wanted to leave. Um, but then I decided, obviously, I would stay. But then as I progressively got more and more into the additions, I just found, um, I just find I enjoyed it because I was singing all this music that I I loved and I was getting to stand on this iconic stage and I mean it was it was insane and so I wasn't really full of like too much nerves because I also didn't really have anything to lose 
you know, I didn't really have anything behind me where I felt that some people were, you know, they had worked up, you know, in the West End shows and, and maybe this was like their their big, big chance. And I was just kind of floating through like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think honestly, I think it would be very different for me now. Um, but I, I kind of just enjoyed it. Who was the first person you called or texted after receiving the news that you got the role? My mom. I called my mom straight away, um, and it was it was probably a day I'll never forget. Mm. Oh my god, I'll never forget the phone calls. I'll never forget telling my family. I mean, yeah, it was it was so good, amazing. Oh, that's lovely. Performing the same role night after night can be draining. How do you stay in the right frame of mind to have sustained success night after night? I just feel when you are carrying such a iconic role and such a beautiful show that there is absolutely no point in giving less than 100% of what you can that day. Of course, some days I have the most incredible energy and some days I'm like, I can't do this. Yeah. But, you know, you do it. And um, I feel like you sacrifice so much in your life for these shows anyways um you know your social life your you know it, loads some people their love life some everything and I think if you just put in so much to yourself for for her there's no point in not going and doing whatever you can and I always think I have no clue who's in the audience this could be someone's first time ever seeing the show just because it's my 500th time performing it doesn't mean that I have to be like oh you know it has to be as magical for someone else as it is for me yeah especially knowing that a lot of those people have probably traveled around the from who knows where around the world just to just to come see you uh what do you do on a day where you might be feeling a little blah not don't Um, need to fight the energy yeah yeah I mean I I think on those days I just I accept how I feel you know, and I don't try and kind of mask it up. Um, but then the thing is, is that it's very, it's very easy for me to go on stage and just click and there's a light. Okay. But then when I go off, then that's my time where I'm like, I'm so tired. And, <laughs> you know, and, and you could be yeah. dealing with so many personal things at the same time. And, you know, I was recently I was going for a time where my dog was really, um, really, really sick. And unfortunately, I, I did lose him. Um, but, you know, I was having to deal with that and then go in and do a show. And, you know, these are, you know, some of the days I was like, oh, my God, I wish I was in a show like Mamma Mia, where, you know, it was show tunes and you were dancing where I was having to physically sing about someone that I've lost. And when I knew fine well, I was probably going to have to lose my dog. Um, But it's, it's just about switching off and, and finding her instead of you. um, in those performances. Um, Yes. Sometimes they're your best performances. Well, that actually brings up the next question before I get to that. What was your dog's name and what type of dog was it? Mozart was my dog, oh, of course. It. That's how much I love Vienna as well, because that's where he was. Well, Mozart was born. Yeah. Um, but um, he was a French bulldog, and he was the love of my life, and mm. he always will be. Um, 
but yeah so it's it's difficult dealing with all of that stuff is really difficult in doing these shows yeah well you mentioned that sometimes that often makes the best show what makes a memorable show because when you're doing it night after night there are maybe minimal differences but what makes for a memorable show one that sticks out years later um i mean memorable shows come in different different ways and um, mm-hmm. some of my most memorable shows are just things like having someone really special in the audience for the first time whether it yeah. was my first singing teacher or I think my brother when my brother first came to see it that was a really big deal for me and yeah. um, something about like having my big brother like suddenly watching me do this but um the most memorable shows I just see were the most like they're the most magical ones they could just be on a really special day or you've just done a really good performance and you feel really good about it but for me it is about who's there it's about having someone that physically knows me in the audience watching mm. watching this happen you know there's much as yeah. there is much part of the journey you know than for me getting there mm. i know you love all of them but what is your favorite song to actually perform during the show uh wishing you were somehow here again <laughs> hands down you don't even have to question me on that it's my favorite always has been um i think it's incredible i think it's really well written i love yeah. the scene and i think it's beautiful because it's so simple and even the staging is just so simple it's you know really isolated and i i think that's what makes it so special I, I agree. I agree. My last question about Phantom. Am I a bad person if I'm rooting for you to end up with the Phantom? No, because sometimes <laughs> I feel that way. I've always felt that way. When I first went to see it, I was like, why are you not going with him? And, you know, I'd get really upset about it. But um, no, there's something, you know, there's something really special about their bond and their relationship. And yeah. some people just think Ral's a bit like, nah, the Phantom is I, so creative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can say I, that. <laughs> I have to remind myself, you're like, why? Well, what's the, I'm, I'm trying to like, what are the drawbacks of Phantom? Oh, he killed a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And then you're yeah. like, well, am I a bad person? <laughs> well, whatever. Whatever you're into, really. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, another thing you're planning on doing this year, which oddly enough was just last weekend, was the London Marathon. Uh, first of all, how long has running been in your life and what was the plan and goal, goal behind that? Running has been in my life for um, for a few years. And I just found when I was a student, it was, the, well, the cheapest way to exercise, really. Um, but then I just kind of begun to to like the challenge and the feeling after and um and I just enjoyed it I enjoyed switching off I enjoyed challenging myself to run certain distances um but I've always wanted to run the London Marathon for I don't know how many years um but either I just didn't apply or um I didn't get a place so I when obviously I've got the chance to do it I was so excited and I am so excited when when the time comes um but yeah so uh yeah I just I really like it it's it's a good exercise and you're running on behalf of what I'm running on behalf of the National Autism Society um 
the reason that I'm running for them is because they actually have a huge theatre campaign um, where they um, they raise enough, well, basically they raise money so that um, certain theatres within the West End can allocate a time where they can do these, you know, special performances so that everyone can enjoy theatre because not everyone can, you know, yeah. something like, um, phantom could be could be too much for certain people but it also means that their um their families can go and enjoy theater as well so yeah ah wasn't kelly fantastic excited to see her perform on the stage in 2021 and for her to run the next london marathon best of luck kelly next up we bring up nicholas mccarthy like I said, this is one of the most inspirational conversations I had of the year. Someone who I admire. I loved our talk. Incredibly intelligent and has an, just a unforgettable story. What were some of your reactions from friends and family when you first said, hey, this is the epiphany I just had. I want to I play the piano and I wonder this is for my life. What were some of the initial reactions my parents were i mean my parents were always and, and are still always hugely supportive and and i i could turn around to them and say i want to do this and they would always you know completely support me so when i went home that that afternoon and said to my mum and and dad you know i want to become a concert pianist i think their reaction if i remember rightly was a bit like really are you sure there's other <laughs> jobs you could probably do that would be easier with one hand um but yeah, they is there were anything again, else is there anything yeah, else exactly. thinking about instead yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and i think but actually i think they obviously they didn't realize i was going to take it to the actual level that i have taken it to yeah. But they were just happy to support. And they, again, they knew nothing of, of the classical music world and teachers and competition. They knew nothing of that. So really, they left it up to me to kind of find my own path with how I wanted to progress in the world of classical music. So I was really left to my own devices. And, you know, I had a very small keyboard up in my room, which I was practicing on and things. And there was just one moment, and I remember this so vividly, that I was playing the piano, well, my keyboard in my room practicing. And because at the time I used to, I loved classical music, you know, I, I discovered this this thing called classical music. So I was like this sponge and I just wanted to hear all of this, you know, centuries of classical music. I wanted to hear everything. So I was listening to a lot of classical radio stations because obviously they play playlists of different things. Yeah. So I could kind of decide what I liked, what I didn't like. And uh, so I was listening to Classic FM and the my dad, and so I was usually listening to Classic FM, but this particular time I was actually playing the piano and playing this, this, sort of this piece that I'd perfected. And my dad uh, shouted up the stairs and said, uh, said nick turn the radio down mm. and i shouted and so i said dad it's not the radio it's me <laughs> and so the next minute mum and dad came up the stairs and they were like i remember them both standing there and they were they, they just said nick but you, you were really good would you like piano lessons and so of course the answer was yes so again they left it up to me and i found a, a young local piano teacher who i looked up to and she was fantastic and thought outside of the box with me and and that's kind of how it started really Wow, what 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 an amazing just kind of moment that you're always going to remember. What with with your teacher who was thinking outside of the box. What were what was the philosophy of of teaching you differently? 
Well, she didn't really have a choice. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I didn't tell her. I to be, to be honest, I can I and this sounds ridiculous, but I completely forgot to tell her on the phone when I arranged for her to come to the house to give oh, me lessons. Okay. I forgot I forgot to tell her that I had one hand, which looking back is very unfair of me, but as a young guy, I didn't really think about my disability yeah. and I even now I don't really, you know, and all of my friends kind of forget often if I they forget that I've got this I've got one hand got one less limb it's quite yeah. funny because it just it doesn't play a part in my in my life really um so I'd forgotten to t- to tell her so she arrived on I think it was a Sunday I used to have my lessons on a Sunday she arrived on the Sunday and she kind of looked down as I opened the door at my empty sleeve and uh, and I this perplexed face you know have I got the right house kind of thing and uh, anyway I went and I, and I played and she she actually got very emotional when I played she she <laughs> cried and I was hoping when I turned around and saw her tears I was hoping it was tears of joy as opposed to tears of oh my god you're so bad at the piano <laughs> um, <laughs> but no it was tears of joy and so, and so she took me on so she was very good I, I looked up to her as I said she was a young she was a young student herself um, she was in her 20s and you know so I thought she was really cool and she was introducing me to music I'd never heard and mm. you know and and I, I really it was it was great that's just what I needed at that time for me as a young artist to be inspired and she, and she was very insp- inspiring to me and again let me discover what I wanted to discover and so very quickly I became better than she was and and I always thank her for this I mean we're in touch today and she was very admirable as a young student who probably needed the money she came to my, me and my parents and said look I'd love to carry on teaching Nick but he's playing pieces that I can't even play now and I don't want to clip his wings I want him to go and and fly and and do what he wants to do so she encouraged me to apply for a music school a specialist music school and that was obviously my my next step so yeah I've, I've always been thankful thankful to her I mean, that's just that's incredible you were the first one-handed graduate of the royal college of music extremely arduous yet uh, rewarding path what were some of your fondest memories of being at the royal college the royal college i mean a lot of your listeners may not have have been been to london so again they they might not know where it is but the Royal Albert Hall in London is is one of the most iconic venues in in the yeah. world. You know, it's beautiful, and the Royal Royal College of Music is positioned kind of and built so beautifully, mirror image to the Royal Albert Hall. So what I loved about it was this is before I even got into the Royal College. I loved the thought about practicing long hours a day, which, as you know, we have to put in a lot of work, a lot of practice. When you're feeling tired, when you're feeling weary, to be able to look out of your practice window onto, directly onto, uninterrupted, one of the most iconic music venues of the entire world, where every single pop performer, classical performer wants to perform in. That's kind of what drew me to the Royal College of Music. So I've got hugely fond memories of that. I mean, for very difficult years because it's very tough you know there, there's thousands and thousands of pianists around the world apply for there was only seven places in my piano year um so you know we're really put through our paces and we we have to um learn an awful lot of repertoire and be playing uh, you know very very high standard so it was very very tough but also i just i've you know i made so many friends for life at, at royal college and so many hugely talented people who who i watch now you know in concert as well as they come to mind and, and we celebrate each other's each other's achievements and and i often look in wonder at my friends who i think wow you are just so amazing and you know it, it's it, it's a place where i i've always been very 
fortunate to have attended and I feel very proud to have attended. And even now when I'm in London or if I've been at a concert, you know, watching a concert at the Royal Albert Hall, I'll, evil, I'll, I'll always glance down to the Royal College of Music and I, it just fills me with pride um, because it is a very, very special place and it's a very prestigious place and one a place that I'm, I'm very, very proud to have gone to. What's interesting is that you had that visual motivation to, to every day look and say, this is where I want to play. A previous guest said that while she was training in Vienna, it was that same visual motivation that enabled her. Now she's a performer with Phantom of the Opera. So it's, it's amazing that if you're able to see what the future is, that it can, it can definitely impact you in a positive light. Absolutely. I mean, I talk about visualization a lot when, with my public speaking, and it's, it, it, it does definitely play a huge role in my life and has an unbeknownst to me had played a huge role in me getting to where I've got to um I used to do it when I was auditioning or when I was you know when I'd been told no you can't do something or you can't possibly play that I would actually visualize myself walking on stage and playing this piece mm. not because I was you know being mindful and purposely visual this was just a natural occurrence that I was I was doing as a youngster and obviously now we were much more aware of our minds are much more aware of techniques and mind hacks and things like that now. And so now looking back, I think, God, I was doing that naturally from quite a young age anyway, just to keep me going through all yeah. of the negativity that was being thrown my way. So yeah, it's, it's funny that you highlighted that visualization is very important to me. And I think a very important tool uh, for, for everybody really, if we can harness it correctly. So your technique is the left hand repertoire. What is the left hand repertoire? Yeah, very good question. So left-hand repertoire started in the 19th century. So back in the 19th century, concert pianists were like rock stars. I'm in the wrong century, unfortunately. I mean, they really were. They used to sell out entire towns if they were coming through Europe or wherever. And often these two-handed, you know, famous 19th century concert pianists would like to show off to their audiences during an encore. Now, an encore is usually playing something flashy, as we know, and, you know, to, to kind of wow the audience. But often they would do it as a bit of a sense of irony. So in the world, as you know, there are so most of the world are right handed. That's just fact. Most people yeah. in the world are right handed. So your left hand tends to be the slightly weaker hand mm -hmm. just by nature, because we do more with our right hands. So these concert pianists in the 19th century would almost play on irony you know you thought I was good with two hands wait and see what I can do with my weaker hand my left yeah. hand my weak hand so that's how it started so they used to kind of show off with this left hand repertoire hence why it was always very flashy and quite bravura big virtuoso stuff and then if we fast forward in time to the 20th century the first world war happened and again because most people most servicemen in the world were right-handed Hundreds and thousands of people were coming back from battle, often with right arm or right hand injuries, either being yeah. shot at, exploded, whatever. So therefore, they were left with their left hand. And because this tradition of 19th century repertoire, of left hand repertoire already existed, this 20th century pianists and, and injured pianists were coming back and expanding on that already present repertoire from the 19th century. And one main person who, who expanded it hugely was a man named Paul Wittgenstein. And he uh, came back and, and commissioned all of the real celebrity composers of the 20th century to write for left hand alone for him as he'd lost his right hand during battle. So that's basically a, a potted history of left hand alone repertoire. So that's what I, I play. So I obviously was born without my right hand. So I only have my left hand and I specialize in all of that repertoire. 
and people you know think it's quite a small repertoire but there's you know there's around 3000 works for left hand alone and there's about 28 29 piano concertos for the left hand alone um from the 19th century onwards so you know there's definitely enough for me to be getting on with Ah, I mean, it's imperious. I mean, it's almost like, you know, jokingly, I say, you're just, you know, you're just doing it to show off then, right? You're just uh, the left hand of the <laughs> you figured, You figured, why wait for the encore? Let's just show off the... Let's in- just do it after. through the whole concert, absolutely. <laughs> you, you've mentioned that uh, performing alongside Coldplay in the 2012 Paralympic Games was one of your favorite memories. Looking back on that performance, what were some of the first thoughts that come to your mind? I mean, it was such a special moment i think for especially for the uk we were so so proud and that summer of 2012 kind of felt very different to everybody um with the olympics the paralympics going on you know we did a fantastic job with it and everybody was kind of buzzing from it for me to be that was actually my first concert after graduating from the royal college of music if you believe <laughs> um so it's you know it was in front of 86,000 people it was half a billion tv viewers watching it and it really did launch my career and you know i i'm again so thankful for that moment walking out on stage in front of 86,000 people with coldplay and rihanna was on a swing above my head which is just you know it was definitely <laughs> surreal um, but a, a moment which even now, if I hear we, I performed this this song uh, "Strawberry Swing" with Coldplay, mm-hmm. and the other day I was in the supermarket and "Strawberry Swing" came on, and even then tears well up in my eyes with such fondness, such pride, and such such amazement at not at, at the whole thing. You know, to be center stage there and to look around that stadium and to hear the electricity of the audience and and the electricity of of what was happening for the 2012 games it's just something i i really struggled to get across that feeling i i struggled to describe it i just i know my parents were at home they couldn't get tickets actually for it even though i was in it that they couldn't get tickets for the closing ceremony and uh, they were at home watching and and i just i i remember thinking god i i know how happy this will be making them now which obviously yeah. made me so so happy so yeah a, a, an amazing moment and one i can't really get into to to words it, it wouldn't do it justice when it comes to equality especially in an individual who has a disability oftentimes they want to be known as you want to be known as just a great pianist regardless you don't want to be known as necessarily as, as the great pianist who has one hand and we we, we want that equality but at the same time your disability is going to inspire other people and is going to serve as inspiration and it's a badge of honor and pride. So how do you kind of balance the emotion of I, I want to be respected as a pianist, but at the same time, I want to embrace this role and, and embrace my, my disability so that other people can know that they're, they can achieve these things? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant question. I mean, I often get asked, you know, does it bother me when the the press dubbed me, you know, one-handed pianist, one-armed pianist, whatever? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, it really doesn't. It's fact. <laughs> I have one hand, I have one arm, and I am a pianist. And it's just, you know, it's just calling it what it is. Um, so it, it doesn't bother me. I've always been very careful to tread both lines because, as you mentioned, you know, I, I part of my job is on the inspirational kind of circuit with the motivational speaking and things. And I know I get, you know, most of my messages a day, and I do get, you know, 100 messages not a day but you know throughout a month or a few months from people all over the world who are who are saying you know I've read your story or I saw your TED talk or I saw this or I saw you on telly and, and whatever and I, you inspired me to do something so that 
is as equally as important to me as being respected as a pianist. Thankfully, I think because our attitudes have changed over time and especially i would say in the last five years with everything has changed you know we're very conscious now of um equality and and disability and race and all of those things um i think the respect that i worked so hard to get as a pianist has started to work excuse the pun hand in hand with also being an inspirational figure on like the motivational circuit as well um years ago i think it people struggled to especially in the classical industry struggled to to think well how can he do both one minute he's on stage talking to goldman sachs the next minute he's playing a concert at the royal albert hall and they couldn't quite see both whereas now i think it's much more fluid and my job really does veer 50 50 between the two um which i love that's what i that's what i always wanted and that's and thankfully what's happened yeah and that's the that's the probably the best viewpoint to have on that and something that we talked about in earlier questions kind of been still sticking in my mind we when on the first question it was you started at the quote you know late time Mm. and that you also mentioned that Looking back, you know, not saying, uh, telling your parents that, hey, I want to be a, a pianist was was maybe profound. So I think we, you and I are both in agreement that anybody can start at any age. And absolutely. So what is your uh, do you feel the same when it comes to not just pianists, but just any endeavor? Like, hey, if I'm 50, I can I can start. I, I guess my question is, there's not there's not really an appropriate time or a correct time for any endeavor. Correct. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And that's something that I, again, I, I talk a lot about. Um, and and that's the mindset that I have, you know, it, it's, it's that I, I really do believe that, you know, you can do anything, obviously, with lots of hard work, with lots of, you know, self-belief it's it's not easy nothing is but nothing in life is easy you know you producing this podcast isn't easy you know but you do it because you love it and you you like communicating likewise with me playing the piano isn't easy but I love it and so I put the time in to do it um so yeah I, I I definitely believe that you you can start anything at any age and 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 with music as well often you know in my concerts people will come up to me afterwards oh I used to play the piano as a, as a child and then I gave up and it's the biggest regret I've ever had and I always say to them I said well come back to me next year I want you to you know go and go and learn and come back next year and tell me how are you doing your grades are you are you performing in your local church hall like what are you doing you know you can go and do it and I remember when I, I used to teach quite a lot as, as a student when I was at the Royal College of Music I, I had a roster of students and a lot of them were adult learners and so a lot of them were, you know, retired doctors or people who had had big careers retired. And then they thought, you know what, now it's me, me time now. I'm going to return to what I, I loved, but I lost. And um, and for me, seeing those achievements for people at such a late stage in their life was so, so rewarding. Because, you know, often I, I say to people with, with, with uh, piano music, but with classical music, when you're learning an instrument, as adults, we're always quite used to being able just to do things now. You know, if I if I wanted to start a podcast, I would turn to YouTube or turn to Google and I'd learn how to do it. I wouldn't be as good as you are at doing it, I'm sure. But I'd be able to at least find out how to do it. With music, it's, it is different. It's a long-term game to learn how to do something. And the closest thing I can ever describe it as is like learning a language. You are not going to become fluent in a week. 
and the same with learning learning an instrument you are not going to become proficient in a week and that's the thing that i can get across the only other thing like like i say is is, is languages if you learn a language that's the only thing that doesn't happen instantly or, or or you can acquire the information fairly quickly it just takes time ah nicholas was fantastic be sure to give him a follow on social media he has perfected the left-handed repertoire and i'm excited to see him on the stage in 2021 my new book curiosity is currently available on amazon curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious featuring 200 episodes from the any given runway show curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes adventurers and performers from daring voyages across the atlantic to unforgettable performances in the west end curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life everyone has a story each person a scholar thank you for listening fill up that passport i'll see you on the road aviento